Good morning, Cornerstone. How are you guys doing? Wow, I know there's like five of you here, but I think you can be a little bit louder than that. Good morning, Cornerstone. How are you guys doing? Thank you. Thank you. Come on. I know the snow is cold and we're tired and it's Friday and there are two days before Thanksgiving break, but we can have a little bit more energy than that, can't we? Um, I am... Uh, the Picket RD, and this time next week, guys, we will be eating Thanksgiving leftovers. How does that sound? And if we are Lions fans, we will be mourning the loss against them to the Bills. It'll be a good day. It's fine. It's fine. Um, Like I said, my name is Abby. I'm the Picket RD here at Cornerstone. The first time I spoke in chapel, I introduced myself as a cook RA. And then the last time I spoke in chapel, I introduced myself as a Picket RA. And it just is weird to just, I don't think I would... If you would have told me at that time that I would be standing up here as a picket RD, that I would have believed you. But that is just the Lord's goodness. Um, so it's definitely a nice surprise, and I'm so thankful to be back in this community. So as an RD and as an RA, community and building community is pretty much my entire job. The women in picket, I make them um, build community by writing down slides of ketchup and mustard on a, on a slip and slide outside Quincer. Um, destroying Cook and Powder Puff. Just kidding. We love Cook. We're so sorry about that one. Um, I also make them build community by showering in like five feet of water because their hair just clogs all the, all the drains so much. You guys should probably start cleaning up your hairballs. I get it from the RAs. It's our, it's our entire staff meeting. Um, when I was applying my junior year to be a returning RA in Pickett, I told Lindsay, who is now my last year boss, and Um, I said, Pickett is where the magic of college lives. And what I meant by that is that there is nothing like the community that exists in Pickett. It is where you meet your friends for life. I'm looking at three of my residents from last year. They are best friends for life now. Um, It is where the transitions of college and the transitions of life, you are surrounded by women who are like-minded with you and will help you through that. The Lord provides it. It's where you go through the hardest transitions, but the community you have, the friendships you build, the people you interact with, the people the Lord provides, gives a ma- has a major impact on how you navigate life and the challenges that you face. This month, we have spent the month on the month of gratitude. Um, we've, had, we've heard from Aaron Saygraves as he's talked about all the amazing things that there's to, to be thankful for in our, in our Cornerstone community. We've heard a few weeks ago from Micah as he talked about what it looks like to live in an attitude of gratitude. We've heard from Dr. Hofstra. We've heard from our president um, and a few others, and all have shared so much wisdom um, from their own areas of expertise about what it looks like to live in a life of gratitude. Well, the last five years of my life have been devoted to community um, and has been devoted into living into community and living in community with one another and living a grateful life with each other. So today, we're going to chat about how community affects our ability to live a grateful life. And that is why we will be in the book of Job. Job is one of the three books in the Bible known as wisdom literature. We have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job's. And Job, Proverbs talks about that God is, it shows us that God is wise and God is just. And if you were here last semester, we took a month or so and went through, or the semester, and went through the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes showed us that, like, sometimes things are meaningless, and maybe God's not super wise and super just because everything's just vapor and is meaningless and it all goes away. And then Job kind of just comes and answers this and helps us figure out 
okay, is, is God just? Like Proverbs just told us God's just, but then we're seeing that the world doesn't always turn out that way. And then here we are with Job and we're left in the in-between. Um, so the book of Job starts out in chapters one and two by introducing us to who Job is. He is this righteous man who, who never does anything wrong. He is obedient and he, he's an outstanding citizen. And then we have this guy called the adversary in Hebrews. I'm not, I'm not a scholar. I don't know the language, but I'm just going to go with what the commentaries say. His, his, we know him as Satan, but in, in the Hebrew language, he's called the adversary. And so Satan points out that Job is only being righteous because he has good things to come to him. So God allows for Job to be tested. He takes his land. He takes his family. He takes his beauty or his skin. His, like, he's got weird scabs on him. So he takes those, and the Lord allows for Job to be tested, and that is where we are going to start our talk today. So we are in Job 2, 9 through 13, um, and this I will read. So his wife says to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job says, you speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we only accept good from God and not adversary? Throughout all of this, Job did not sin. And he said, as he did. Now, when three, when three of Job's friends came, Eliphaz the Tamite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Nahamnite, when they heard about all the adversary that he had, each of them came to his home. They met together to sympathize and comfort with him. They looked from a distance, and they could barely recognize him. They wept aloud, and each man tore their robe and threw dust into the air onto their head. And then they sat with him seven days and seven nights. No one spoke a word because they saw his suffering was immense. Job's friends came and sat with him. They got into the mess. They ripped their clothes and they grieved with him. Chapter three continues after the seven days of silence. Job let out a long lament, and each friend then attempts to comfort Job or give him advice. Now, how many of you have ever been in a hard situation and your friend just tries to like silver lining it? Or your friend just tries to give you advice and you're like, actually, that's like not what I needed to hear right now. Or they try to tell you, God just has a plan. God has a plan for you. And like, yes, God does have a plan, but right now that may not be what you needed to hear. So this is what we're gonna kind of see over the next 37 chapters. I'm not gonna go through all of them, but we see from chapter three to chapter 37, we see these four different people come and talk to Job about how they should be interacting and how he should be responding to the Lord. So Eliphaz is the first to speak to Job, and he speaks from chapter 3 to chapter 14. And his main point is to answer the assertion that God is just. So, Job, you must have done something wrong because God just doesn't take your land away if you haven't, like, lied and you don't actually know about it or if you didn't sacrifice something and you've obviously done something wrong. The second man to speak is Bildad, and he asserts, and his assertion is to the point that God runs the universe strictly on justice, and he is strictly a wise and righteous man. Um, and it's on the principle of justice. So anything that happens, God is just, so you must deserve it. And the third man, Zophar, he is speaking to explain Job's suffering. So he says, obviously, some, your kids must have done something. Like, there's probably something that you're not being truthful about to yourself. You're probably lying to yourself. How many of your friends have told you before, 
oh, you're just, you're just not giving it up to God enough. You're just not giving it up. You're just not giving it up. But even though in your heart you're like, no, I'm just like, don't know what's going on and I'm just trying my best and it just still feels like it's not working. That's where Job is at right now. His friends are telling him all this stuff and he's just getting more and more frustrated. It's like, guys, I really have not done anything and I'm just like, just sitting here trying to take it and I just need you guys to support me. And this lack of support and this lack of just like keep poking the bear has turned, has turned Job away from God. And at the beginning, when we see him say to his wife, like, you are a foolish woman. I'm not going to turn away from God. Then we see his community sit here and badger him for 37 chapters. And we see him then get angry with the Lord and say, like, curse the day I was born. Like, wipe it from all the records. I do not want to be here anymore. So we see how hurtful our words can be when they're not in the right way. As Danny was saying, like, we all are going through hard things right now. And it's so important that as a community, we are aware of what our, the impact of our words have on each other. And it's important that we are speaking life into one another and pointing people back to the Lord. Because when we don't do that, then we can't live in a life of gratitude. Job continually claims that he is innocent, that his suffering is not just, and that God does not rule the world uh, in a justice way or that God is unjust. Which is like not true, but that's okay. Um, so these, friend, these friends, on the other hand, their argument is that God is just, that God rules the world according to justice, and they conclude that Job must be doing something wrong. And they come up with a bunch of sins that he has potentially done. Like I said, this leads Job to frustration, and it leads him um, to take his case up directly with the Lord. Job is on an emotional roller coaster. Through chapter 3 through 37, it is dense and complex poetry. Um, he used to think that God was just, but then through the arguments with his friends, he's having a hard time reconciling his suffering. In his outburst, he will accuse God of being the bully in um, chapter, nine, or chapter 16, 9. He claims that God is to blame for all the injustice in the world for chapter 9 through 22 through 23. Job is all over the place. In chapter 29 through 31, Job demands that he's innocent and demands that God comes down and answers to himself and that he explains himself in person. So at this point, um, at chapter 32 through 37, we get a surprise visit from a fourth friend, Elihu. And in chapter 32, four through, or two through four, he says, then Elihu um, was angry at Job because he saw that he had justified himself rather than God. He was also angry at Job's three friends because they had failed to refute him and yet had condemned him. Then Elihu waited to speak to Job because they were all older than he. But when he saw that the three men could not answer to Job, he became angry. So have you ever been in like a fight with one of your friends and you're like the only one that's kind of like, I just don't think you guys are really giving good advice right now. And you're actually pushing them further away from the actual situation. Um, I know as an RA and an RD, there's so many times where I'm like here. I love my residents. I love you guys dearly. There's so many times where I hear you guys give advice and I'm like, you probably should have just said that, but I'll let you, I'll let you fall on your face on that one and, and figure it out. Um, but we see... Elihu, in, through chapter 32 through 37, he speaks life 
um, into Job. And even though Job was already too far gone, it's, it's still something that we can hear from it. So Elihu, uh, he, he acknowledges that, that God is just. He has the same argument as the three friends. He, he acknowledges that God runs the world according to justice, but his conclusion is a lot more complex. He does not claim to know why the suffering is happening, but he claims that, that God may use it to build character within us, to, to protect us from future sin or to stop further sin from happening. But Job is so fed up at this point that he doesn't even, doesn't even have time to respond to Elihu, but it's something that we can hold on to at this point. So when we experience suffering in this world because we are told that we will, we can hold on to why are we doing this. We, we, we read the Old Testament with the perspective of having Jesus, and so we know that like, um, through the process of sanctification and through perseverance, we are being formed into better humans and, to, and into the creation that God has us to be. And through suffering and through trials, the Lord is creating perseverance within us. Um, but this is just another example of that, that when we experience suffering in this world, we can have hope. And we can't have gratitude without hope. In this 20-minute chapel, we do not have time to dive into details of each of these conversations, but what we can see is a detrimental effect that wrong community can have on our mental health and can have on our ability to praise the Lord through all situations and circumstances. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar had the opportunity to come around Job in this season of immense grief and suffering and walk with him kindly through it. But instead, they blamed him and made the situation 1,000% worse um, than it could have been. So my friends, today my question for you is who are you surrounding yourself with and how has this impacted your ability to live a grateful life? And how has this impacted your ability to be grateful in all situations? Recently, I started uh, assistant coaching for JV Girls Basketball. Yeah. All two of you out there. Um, just kidding, we had a late night last night. I understand you guys are sleeping. Um, but in our last four games, I've been able to see the difference in speaking energy and speaking life into one another versus getting down on each other. My first game that I helped coach, we trout. Oh, Mo's here too. Hey, Mo. Sorry, you didn't yell, so I didn't know you were right there. Um, in my first game, we traveled to Siena Heights, and we were down by 26, and we came back in the second half, and you wouldn't have thought that at our halftime that we were down by 26 because the energy and the excitement that we had for one another and the life we were speaking into one another, we came back and we battled back and we played one heck of a game. Um, our girls rallied around one another and they fought hard and they cheered for each other and we came back. But in another game this week, we were down by significantly less than 26, but our energy wasn't there. We weren't yelling for each other. We weren't communicating. And we, we ended up losing that game. We ended up losing Scanner Heights, but it should have been a one, but it's okay. We're, we're going to get there. Um, but we got in our own heads and stopped encouraging one another. So how many times have you guys gotten in one of your own heads and stopped encouraging one another and stopped encouraging your friends through a season of hard times? The way we speak to each other in times of adversary greatly impacts our ability to live 
and gratitude. Throughout all of scripture, we are told to live grateful lives. We are told through all situations we face, take heart because Jesus has conquered the world. Like I said, we cannot have gratitude without hope. And hope comes from the community that we surround ourselves with. Here at Cornerstone, we have such a unique opportunity through encounter groups, through our residence halls, through conversations with our professors, through, through whatever ways you can get plugged in to live in a community that fosters gratitude with one another. Yes, we all have our things that we're like, oh, I hate chapel. I don't want to be here. Oh, our calf food sucks unless it's popcorn chicken bowl. I love popcorn chicken bowl. It's literally my favorite food, which is bad because it's not real food. But anyways... <laughs> We have such a unique opportunity here at Cornerstone to live in a community that pushes each other towards gratitude and that pushes each other towards the Lord and doesn't try to sugarcoat what we're going through, that sits in the messiness with one another, but doesn't also try to like tell them, I know you're just, just God's just and it's okay, like just, just deal with it. Um, you can acknowledge the hurt that someone's going through, acknowledge that they may not deserve to go through this while still acknowledging that God is good. You can live in that already, but not yet. You can live in that tension. We know that this life will not be easy, so surround yourself with community that will remind you of God's goodness and encourage you to live a life of gratitude. Job's three friends pushed Job away because they did not fully understand the weight of what he was suffering. They refused to empathize with him. Elihu sat with Job in his pain and pushed Job back towards the Lord. While Job was not ready to hear it at that time, we don't know how that impacted him. So sitting in empathy with one of your friends creates a greater ability for them to live a grateful life and also creates a, a greater ability for you to live a grateful life. The story of Job ends in a moment of gratitude. The Lord rocks Job's world even after Job rebukes God um, and all that he has done um, towards him. In the end, God blesses Job by restoring his life to what he had and more. And we serve a God that has blessed us with the ability to be thankful and live a life of gratitude. We serve a God that blessed us with the ability to live in community with one another. We were created in the image of a triune God. To live in community is to be human. So embrace it. On May 15th of this year, I experienced one of the two, or the first of two really hard deaths of my life. Um, and the Lord did not allow me to face them alone. And if it wasn't for the community that I had here, I would not have gotten through them. The men and women that he brought to me and that sat with me in the midst of my pain. I wouldn't be here without them. So when you are in the, the times of suffering that we will face, lean into your community and live a life of gratitude. I know there's probably someone that we are all thinking of that we are so thankful for that they push us back towards the Lord. And if you don't have that, find someone. I know your RA, a professor, someone here 
will want to walk with you and sit in the messiness with you. The community that God provided me, they embraced the pain while also embracing the truth that God is good, that he is powerful and he is all-knowing and he is working all things for good and that he has a perfect plan. So ladies and gentlemen, Cornerstone students, ask yourself, who are the people in your life that you would call your closest friends? Are these people pointing you back towards the Lord? Are they pushing you into a life of gratitude? Are they keeping you in your place of sorrow and anger? Like I said, Cornerstone, we have a really unique opportunity to be in community with, with one another amidst all that is changing around us in a community that lives a grateful life. We can acknowledge that life gets hard because it does, because I know you guys are probably all tired of classes right now, and that's, that's just one part of your life that you guys are probably exhausted and burnt out. But my challenge to you is to be a friend, a coworker, a teammate, a brother, a sister, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, whatever identity marker you need to put in there, be someone that pushes your friends and pushes your community to a life of gratitude, to a life that acknowledges that sometimes life sucks. Can I say sucks on the screen? Okay, sorry, sorry, Pastor T. Sometimes life sucks, but God is still good, and the world is still just. Be the person that points them back to gratitude. Surround yourself with the people that push you into a habit of thanksgiving and not a habit of anger. Lament with your community. Challenge your community. Champion your community. And be a community that lives a life of gratitude. Dear Lord, I just thank you um, for today, God, I thank you for the community that you have um, provided me, Lord, here at Cornerstone, God. I thank you for the opportunity to, to come and speak again to our Cornerstone community through, through sickness and through battling with, with bronchitis. God, I just praise you for the community that you have provided me this year. Um, Lord, I just pray a blessing over, over the women of Pickett and over the women and men in all of our residence halls and in all of our communities that you will just... Um, Get them plugged into a community, God, that will push them back towards you. Um, that as we go into this, this season of thanksgiving, Lord, that we will acknowledge that through the hard times and through everything that we are facing, um, that there is still so much to be thankful for, God. That gratitude does not mean that nothing bad will happen, but we will keep our eyes focused on you and that we will run the race that you have set out for us, Lord. So thank you for the ability to live in community, God. Thank you for the ability to, to have gratitude. I pray for safe travels for all of our commuters and everyone as they go home for Thanksgiving or whatever plans they have. Um, thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, Jesus. Amen.